Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Robertson. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris onto the show. So, Chris Robertson, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on today. The pleasure is all mine. So, could you give us a quick update as to who you are and what you've been doing up until this point? So, my name is Chris Robertson. I'm, I reside out of Canada. Um, work out of based out of Toronto, um, and I work with Rugby Canada. And I've been in this position for about three years. Um, I started off uh, as an athlete. Um, I was able to get to the professional ranks and then unfortunately had an ACL injury. And then from there, I kind of turned my, my sights onto athletic development. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And yeah, I'm here today. <laughs> so, uh, the step from rugby Canada to science support podcast was uh, an obvious one to make, of course. Um, exactly. <laughs> but, um, we're here to discuss how, uh, how you view strength and how you know whether strong is strong enough. So, the first question that I've got is, why is it important to know how strong strong enough is? Um, especially like working in team sports where, you know, the, the barbell is not our sport, right? Like we're not weightlifting, we're not powerlifters. Um, and pretty much what I wanted to do, I just wanted to figure out how strong strong enough was for, um, for speed. And what I found is like you just you save yourself some time and you're not pushing something and going in a, a backwards direction and um, – going away from what it is they're meant to do, which is to play the sport. Um, and then also it like kind of helps conversations, uh, drive conversations with coaches in the sense that, you know, uh, a coach may have a certain view like, Hey, this person needs to be stronger for this. And, uh, and you can kind of have conversations with them and just kind of go from there. So when you're, when you're looking to assess that, um, you're going through a, a set of steps in your mind. Um, what kind of uh, what kind of assessment do you use from the people that you're getting through the door with zero training age all the way up until elite level athletes? So basically, what it comes down to is like um, if we're talking about speed, because speed in rugby seven speed is kind of like king or queen in my situation because I work with female athletes. But um, faster athletes uh, tend to get move on to the national level, tend to go on to the international level. And that's kind of how we see it, irregardless of strength. So we've had some of our athletes that are, um, you know, not as strong as the strongest person, but they were faster and they went on and, and um, from there. So what I lose, like one of our uh, benchmarks that we use is kind of the front squat. And I kind of just, it was a, it's a kind of a bit of a story. So kind of pre-COVID, so from about December to about February, uh, you know, you read a lot of literature, you're like, hey, we improve in youth athletes, if you improve their 
front squat, or their back squat, or their front squat, their squat strength, their speed should get faster. So I kind of just went with that hunch. And I started chasing those numbers. So I'm like, okay, let's increase their front squat and we should see um, if their speed improves. So what ended up happening is uh, our athletes that uh, were under uh, 1.25 body weight front squat improved. And then our athletes that were above 1.25 and then they increased their strength, squat strength, they actually went backwards in their speed. So kind of that kind of gave me an idea of where strong was and where strong and uh, strong enough was. So then I had three athletes, I believe. Yeah. And I put, I continue to push it. So they, they reached the 1.25 body weight front squat. I was happy with that. So I continue to push for uh, two of them. And then the, the third athlete, I went on a more power based program. And then what I ended up finding was the people that were doing the strength program. So they improved from, I want to say, 1.25 to 1.3 times body weight. Uh, they ended up going backwards in terms of their speed. And the girl that did the power work improved and had a PR. So then I fast forward to post-COVID. So we've been back about 12, 12 weeks. And what I found was I was like, okay, whoever is below that 1.25, I'm going to put them on a strength-based program. Those that are above, I'm going to put them on a, a more power-based program. And all athletes improved versus how I had it before where some didn't, some, some didn't, some didn't. So then I just said, you know what, maybe this is, I, I found something. That's kind of how I got to it. I think that's uh, that's super interesting. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, like force velocity profiling, where uh, it takes a lot of effort, and you have to have uh, potentially for force plates, for example, to to do it. Um, but you conceivably in this situation have, have found a different KPI and a different metric, whereby you can uh, make a pretty simple conclusion based on uh, a test, which you can do very very easily. Um, are there other KPIs that you use outside of uh, front squat and speed? Uh, yeah, so mostly our KPIs are actually, they're, they're, um, they're qualitative in nature. So it's like the coaches assessing, okay, how can you, how do you pass catch? How do you do sets, restarts, aerial skills, things like that, where it's kind of the coach's judgment, uh, versus like, um, you know, a hardcore number, for example. Um, but we do have like our benchmarks, but I haven't yet kind of, I correlated our, our upper body uh, uh, benchmarks to uh, from a health standpoint. So our girls that can do chin-ups with load uh, tend to have less shoulder injuries than those who can't do a chin-up, which is kind of like common sense. But um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. So I look from it, like I, for me personally, I look from it um, a speed. I want to get our athletes faster and I just want to keep them healthy. So stronger athletes, are less injured um, and stronger athletes um, have less shoulder injuries from an upper body standpoint. I think that's uh, that's really uh, useful information. And what are you measuring in terms of speed? Is that a 40 meter, 60 meter? Is that maximal speed? What, what kind of first speed measurement are you take? Yeah, so we're just using 40 meter, 40 meter sprints with our 10 and 30 meter splits. Cool. And you see improvements in all of those uh, metrics, including the split times. Yep. Uh, mostly you see like acceleration increases to a greater degree than uh, max velocity. Max velocity is a really slow bleed that you see kind of 
over a few years that you see it slowly go down um, versus acceleration um, where there's a technical and there's a very strength uh, strength uh, stronger athletes generally can accelerate better and can get into better shapes and positions. Cool. So when you're um, when you've got that data, let's say you're you're at your 1.25 uh, times body weight front squat, um, you you then make a decision to put someone on a, a power based program or a speed based program. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of uh, changes are you then making? So what? How does that program look when you move from a strength program, and how does that look when you put it onto a, a power program? So essentially, what happens is. Um, one day is when they're on a strength-based program. One day is a uh, like a tech, like a max effort day, so a heavy strength day, and then the other day is a more so of a volume day. So in terms of just getting um, heavier loads, uh, sorry, lighter loads, but just more volume. When they move to a, a power-based program, we have the same max effort day, and then we have a dynamic effort day, whereas we're doing something ballistic in nature. Um, and we're trying to eliminate bar deceleration. So w- whether that's with bands, jumps, um, Olympic lifts, that's kind of how we work. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Awesome. Could you take us through one of your power sessions? So if we look at the... Um, the athlete who then has that uh, two point of one point two five times body weight front squat, you're going to put them into that power session uh, two days a week. What does that look like in terms of exercises, sets, and reps for you? So, one so essentially, what would happen is, um, I don't know if you're this. I'm, I use um, it's called the tier system by Joe Ken. A really great book if anyone ever wants to read it. But pretty much what it does is it goes through kind of how to organize a session in terms of like he has like the different level tiers um, and different uh, exercises that you can do for them. So essentially what I have is uh, most of our athletes are on a two-day program. So they would have on a power – you want a power day you said? Okay, so a power day, so it'd be like a dynamic effort lower exercise. So it'd be like think of a jump squat, think of uh, Olympic lift or some type of uh, banded squat, and that would I'd work in ranges depending on the modality. So if I'm working with um, jump squat, I'm working thirty to forty percent of their one RM back squat. Uh, and then from there, I'm going anywhere from like 12, 12 to 12 to 18 reps in sets of three. So four by three, six by three. Uh, dynamic effort upper would more so look like um, some type of a lighter, a lighter bench, maybe a bench throw, uh, med ball throw, 
Okay. And then from there, I just go into my accessory exercises. So I have my single leg push, a hinge, an upper body pull. And that's kind of just the gist of how it works. And then before that, you would have um, you would have various jumps. So I go anywhere from 24 to 50 jumps, kind of as a part of their warm up. So we'll do uh, long coupling jumps, short coupling jumps, um, and that. Yeah, that's just gist of it. Sounds uh, sounds absolutely excellent. And when you when you compare that to your strength day, um, what are the key differences then? So accessory exercises will actually stay the same. It's just a matter of that again those that dynamic effort lower and dynamic effort upper then turns into just more volume. So for example, on a max effort day, I may do uh, you know four by five at seventy five to eighty percent of their one RM. And then on the volume day, they may go uh, four by eight, for example, at anywhere like 60 to 70%. Nice and then that. like I'll, sometimes I'll, that's for the strength group and I'll slow the tempo down or something like that. And, uh, and that's for the, the key exercises such as uh, yeah. a lower body exercise and an upper body exercise. Exactly. It sounds, uh, sounds insanely simple when you put it like that, but I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, of complex thought that goes into it as well. Um, uh, honestly, not, not really. <laughs> don't say that, really, but your boss might be listening. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's simple. Like, um, I, what I try to do is like, I make the simple stuff fun and that kind of what's helps like drive a culture yeah. versus like, I, I, I tell them like it's boring, but they're seeing improvements. So I get buy-in yeah. versus if I was doing that stuff and like nothing was happening, <laughs> I think it would be a little bit harder, but yeah. I kind of like our girls are like super inquisitive. So I'm, they're always asking questions like, okay, why are we using bands today? Why are we using chains today? And like, then I kind of explain these things and then they, um, it helps. And, uh, how are you, how are you then keeping it fun? So how, how do you build that into your, your training session? So fun is communication. It's not the exercises. It's the communications environment you create. Um, you know, I give them the, the, we have a speaker. I let them just rip the the music, let them do what they want. Um, you know, we go back and forth. I, I kind of make it try to make it a competitive environment. Like sometimes we'll do like, we'll do jumps. So I'll kind of get them going against each other. We'll do races against each other. Um, when we get the Tendo out, I'll be like, Hey, who can move the most weight at between certain velocities and that kind of what helps drive everything. And then when we have our, our max out days, um, those end up being really fun. They end up cheering each other on. Um, and yeah, it's really fun. Fantastic. Mate. Yeah. And, uh, how often do you, how often do you max them? Because I imagine you would probably need to max every so often, especially with front squat to make sure that they're hitting, uh, the right type of training, for your system no not really um maxing i'd probably say and maybe twice two three times a year maybe like that's kind of the gist of it like i don't like how it generally works so without when there's no obviously we're in a unprecedented times but generally how our our season would go from january to december so january to march would kind of be technically like our off season where they just have practices and things like that. March is when our uh, seven season starts to pick up. 
Okay. So they'll have more sevens competitions. And then that brings us to about May where 15 starts and then 15s goes all the way till September. And then from September to November is seven seasons again. So it's like you, they play a lot of rugby. So it's like you, you can see there's not a lot of time to max these things out. Yeah, I can imagine that's a, a particularly <laughs> tough schedule. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you then manage to plan in the the S and C sessions? Do you do you have um, multiple peak moments in terms of uh, end tournaments, or do you you, do you just say right, we're going to improve the girls and we're going to keep uh, keep going throughout the year? Well, it all depends. Like if we look at a, a quadrennial plan, um, when they're in their first two three years we're just training the fundamentals essentially. It's like, we're not worried about, you know, peak performance. So it's like, they're going to get better, but we're not going to sacrifice a session um, to improve their strength power for the sake of uh, a tournament game, like a high school game. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And it's kind of, we don't want to waste time. Um, So what we'll do is we'll just, sometimes if we may cut a session or, um, we will uh, just drop volume of a session, but we still continue to get our adaptations that we want. And then we don't go more than twice a week during season. And then the off season is three times max. So before we, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the, the most difficult question that we can think of. Um, and that is what is the one thing you see or do differently, which the rest of the world can learn from? Um, I wouldn't want to say like, I do anything that's like unique. I just think, my experiences have changed my perspective. So um, I was fortunate enough to be drafted into the professional football league here. So football, uh, American football for our uh, overseas listeners. But, before, before they think you're, you're playing soccer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so football, American football, not soccer. Um, and just I have an idea of like what it takes to kind of get to that next level. And I just know the work ethic, um, the drive and things that you need to do to get there versus, um, you know, so I, it's something I actually can instill in my athletes and just explain to them. And like, I have experience. I'd be like, listen, man, when I went from high school to university, there was a big leap, but going from university to pro is a different leap. So when it comes to terms of like athleticism, strength, things like that, at the professional level, everyone has that. It's really dialing in on like attention to detail, um, having those uh, like your sport IQ. So rugby IQ, everyone, that's what's going to make the difference between a professional and a not professional. Because there's a lot of people that are, you know, physical freaks, physical specimens, but they they can't play their sport. So it's like really become a student of your game. Um, So that's something I always drive. And then just being, again, strong enough. And that's uh, having a continual work ethic in the gym. And I, I can kind of lead that by example and my experiences. And I can imagine to, to wrap this all up, by the time uh, you are strong enough and you're working on that, the, the power programs effectively, um, that then eventually saves you a lot of time and adaptive resources so that you can become uh, that kind of uh, PhD in your sport as such. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not, you're not zapping them in the gym, right? Like we're not, we're not, it's nothing, it's not too hard. Um, but we're, we're still trying to push our adaptations, of course. So again, there's periods where we can push certain adaptations and, um, 
versus other times when we're just trying to maintain or slightly improve. Um, yeah, it all depends on the athlete specifically. Fantastic. So, Chris, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me, man. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Chris for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I've really enjoyed it, and I hope you have at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our free-to-download agility course, and that's going to give you all you need to know on agility in under two hours. Further, that's broken down into tiny bite-sized chunks so that you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and you can download that one absolutely for free. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to hit subscribe on whichever sender you're listening to. That'll obviously help us to grow and help us to bring you even better content in the future. And in addition, be sure to share how you're listening on social media and we can share that to our large social media audience on the Science of Sport Instagram, for example. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.